Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Roughly 20 years ago, I decided that I was going to pursue sports journalism as a career. The reason was simple. I knew that if I kept at it, was patient enough, one day in the distant future, a media company on some platform or other will be kind enough to indulge my love of Andre the Giant. That platform is the Second Captain's Podcast. That day is today. Murph, Ken, all I can do is thank you both for your kindness. It seems that dreams sometimes... They do come true. Happy Owen McDevitt Day. <laughs> I mean, is it, is it any uh, uh, coincidence that it was your birthday last Thursday? Well, you all it? forgot about it, so maybe that's why you're being so kind. Forgot yeah. about it? You didn't mention it. I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I don't think anyone... No one knows your know, birthday. How would anyone know? Normal service has been resumed and no one knows, that, knows <laughs> anyone's birthday. Long-time listeners will be aware that late 80s WWF wrestling was where it was at for young Owen McDevitt. I religiously watched Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, The Big Boss Man, Coco Beware and the rest do their thing in the squared circle, mm-hmm. and then I would reenact their moves in real life by being subjected to a series of punishing moves by my much bigger friend, Andrew. Oh. Mm. I had to be there. Yeah, I didn't get much. I was really just the, the, the patsy in that yeah. particular uh, matchup. But nobody, not the Hulkster Ken, not Hacksaw Jim Duggan, not even Jake the Snake Roberts could re- create the sort of awestruck reaction I felt every time the eighth wonder of the world stepped into the ring. He's stronger than all of us, he's bigger than all of us. He kept everybody in line. He was the guy. He was famous on a different level, literally the biggest celebrity in the world. How about your diet? How much food do you eat a day? You knew that you were seeing something unique in the world. Andre was an attraction. There was no level of comfort. It had to be an uncomfortable life. There's only one. They think of him as this legendary drinker. 
He drank because he was in pain. People would not leave him alone. The reality of who he was was getting more intense on him. He knew he wasn't going to live long. Month after month, you could see Andre failing. Andre commanded great respect. He was not the most articulate man in the world. Look at me when I'm talking to he you. spoke in other ways. Oh, boy, look at that. He was a figure of the imagination come to life. Mother Nature has done something really magnificent here. He did sports entertainment before there was sports entertainment. Yeah! I can't believe it. This is unreal. Sounds good, isn't it? <laughs> Dramatic, certainly. I don't know that, I don't know that it's kind of a, a Mark Horgan production, but I do like it. I mean, it's 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 right there. I mean, yep. it is a trailer, I suppose. It is the official trailer of it. Pretty dramatic sounding. Brilliant dro- documentary that aired on HBO during the week. Oh, you've seen this one. Yes, We're gonna, yeah, it's excellent. Documentary. We're going to talk to the producer today. Under the Giant of Figure with Mass Appeal. Murph, I don't need to tell you that. You're a movie, a movie buff. <sighs> well, that's where I... I mean, you mentioned Under, Under the Giant to me. I mean, I think of two things, really. I think, well... You should really have mentioned this to Owen McDevitt. You'd probably have a much more inf- interesting conversation with him if you were to mention this to Owen McDevitt. And also then The Princess Bride, which is uh, uh, actually a brilliant movie. Yeah, one in. of the voices you heard there was Billy Crystal. Yeah. He's, he's in that, isn't he? Yeah. He is. He's got a very small role in it, actually, okay. as a, a wizened old witch or magician or something. But, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's brilliant. And, I mean, obviously, the, the joke when it comes to Andre the Giant is... His giant. enormous height, and you know you pair him with an extremely small actor, which is what happened, and you kind of take it from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, while we're in the process of self, you know, sort of uh, uh, investigation mm-hmm. here, uh, I feel it now is a good time for me to tell my brother, who often listens to these podcasts, that I have lost his copy of The Princess Bride, the book, which is the funniest book I've ever read. It's the only book that I can actually say. With certainty that on every funny. single page I laughed out loud. The Princess Bride is the funniest book you've ever read. Yeah. I, I mean, how many books have you read? I mean, there are a lot of books that are humorous. You know? I've never, I've never read The Princess Bride. I'm just, I'm just... Yeah. It's, it, it's like it's a proper... Like, that's very, very funny. Your tone sounded page. a lot more dubious. Though. It sounded, sounded <laughs> that of a dubious critic rather than somebody who has just heard a great suggestion and yeah. might take Murph up on maybe reading that at some stage. Yes, well, I, I, haven't, I haven't read the book. I've seen the movie. The movie's pretty good. Um, I mean, it was funny in parts. Mm-hmm. But maybe the book was funnier, even funnier. Before we crack on. I need to let the non-World Service members listening know that you guys continue to miss out on the very latest in media technology that we debut on our daily shows. Perfect example last week, I think, was when Ken brought you the latest Champions League news featuring Gigi Buffon. Uh, like the waiting Robert De Niro, he was talking Italian, Owen. But we do not have a subtitle facility on this audio podcast. I know we do have, though, Ken. Champions That's... League Weekly Voice. So, uh... <laughs> Roll the tape there, please, Simon. When you come to the Bernabeu to play in the quarterfinals, you need the players, coaches, fans and referees to be at this level. (laughs) Otherwise, he should be in the stands, eating crisps, drinking Sprite, Coca-Cola or orange juice, or whatever he wants. Jare Patatina. 
I have found Keep talking, Ken. It sounds great. I have found myself saying that quite a bit over the last number of days. Yeah. Uno bestia. Uno bestia. Now that's the kind of cutting-edge journalism available every week in the World Service. If you're not already signed up, you can do it on secondcaptains.com. It's a fiver a month, and that'll get you daily shows and unlimited access to all of our old episodes. It's taken many years, but I finally have my wish. We're talking about Andre the Giant on the podcast. Matt Maxson is producer of the brilliant new documentary called Andre the Giant, which has gone out on HBO in America. Matt, great to have you on the show. Happy to be here. Now, late 1980s, WWF as it was at the time, wrestling was my entire life. But other guys on the team here don't even know that Andre was known as the eighth wonder of the world, believe it or not, Matt. Is this movie supposed to appeal to me or to them? You know, when our director, Jason Hare, uh, gave us the mission for, for the documentary, what it was, the goal was we wanted to make it for people, uh, for our dads and brothers who grew up with wrestling in this era. And so I think the goal is that we wanted it to be fun. Uh, we wanted it to be, you know, something that could uh, look at him as a wrestler. But also, you know, if you talk to my mom, she knew, you know, Andre the Giant as Fezzik in Princess Bride. And we kind of wanted it to be, you know, a fun thing for people who were wrestling fans. Uh, we wanted it to be a you know fun thing for people who knew him outside, but we also wanted it to be an honest look at his life, you know, good, bad, and ugly, and everything in between. And you know that was kind of the the mission that we set out when we first started making this, and I think it's something that we accomplished. Yeah, no, very much so. No, it's really it's really top stuff. How can you maybe explain to people how big a figure Andre was in in American culture, I guess, pop culture in the nineteen eighties? Um, I mean. He, he wasn't, you know, a rock star. He wasn't, uh, you know, a Hollywood celebrity. But I think uh, David Shoemaker says it best, which is he was, you know, as well known as any person out there that you may not, you know, pass him walking down the street and like flock to him like a, a celebrity. But, you know, if you're walking down the, you know, if you're walking in your high school and you're, you know, around the locker room and stuff like that. People would be like, oh, you know, Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant's coming to town. You know, it was it was different in that it was like a mythological figure uh, where, you know, everybody else's celebrity was on uh, on a different scale. The word That's an interesting phrase you use there, the mythological figure. How, with a guy like this, do you go about separating the facts of what he did and what his life was about from the mythology that appears to have grown up around him? That was honestly the biggest challenge. You know, when you set out to do any documentary, um, the goal is you research. You spend as much time researching as possible. So we found, you know, a few books, some articles. You know, Danny Burkholder at CBS had done a really great, you know, article on him. Sports Illustrated had done a really good article peeling back the myth. But we found that there wasn't a lot of facts out there about him, you know, easily digestible. Heck, up until recently, if you went to his Wikipedia page, it still had a list as from – Born, being born in Grenoble, France, which is patently false. So what we had to do was it was a lot of talking to people. And, you know, uh, my, my colleague Jake Rogal and I were on a lot of phone calls. Our director, Jason Hare, you know, ended up going to France and meeting a lot of people. You know, one of the stories that isn't included in the documentary is uh, the story that, you know, Samuel Beckett would drive uh, Andre to school in his pickup because he was too big to fit into the school bus. Yeah. And we didn't include it because – we talked to his family and they said, that's not true at all. There wasn't a school bus. You know, yeah, Samuel Beckett would pick up kids along the way and, and, and drop them off, but um, that that wasn't necessarily part of how everything went. So No, no, Matt, of- Matt, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to cut, cut straight into it. We might even have to cancel the interview because that was one of my favorite. <laughs> 
Andre the Giant, particularly you know as a, as, a, as an Irish person growing up uh, idolizing Andre the Giant. That's that was a big part. So hang on, is there any link between Samuel Beckett and Andre the Giant? They, they lived in the same town. Okay, uh, they so they so they, they so they would have definitely they would have come across each other. They they definitely knew each other, um, but I don't think like there's 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 a story that you know Andre's dad helped build the house yep, that they yep. lived in, and then you know th- those those are part of the mythology that you know, and I I think to a little bit that Andre perpetuated a little bit himself uh, because you know we you see some of the interviews with him, they're all in character, and you know as much that he would say, oh, is I still a lumberjack in Grenoble and. So I think he was a little bit part of the, the myth-making himself. Oh, I'm looking at it, but I've got a book in front of me here, which an animated book about Andre the Giant, and it depicts this. It's about four pages devoted to this yes. Beckett yes. stuff. It, Samuel it, Beckett even gives him his first cigarette. Yes. Come on, yes. Some, come on. That's got to be true. It's, it's all, it's all, I'm telling you, it's all, um, oh. it's all for the story. <laughs> oh God, I'm crushed. Uh, we'll soldier on. We'll soldier on yes. regardless. Matt, the... I, actually, in regards to the mythology, this fits into it nicely because there is a section of the documentary given over to Andre's drinking. He's described as the greatest drinker that ever lived. And, okay, well, there might be some exaggerations here and there. Maybe there aren't. There's certainly no doubt this guy drank an insane amount. And obviously people, to this day, you read articles about how brilliant this is. Look, look at this big, giant man able to put away all these drinks. I think you guys do a good job of exploring that a little bit further. Uh, in in the sense that obviously drinking that amount is not great for anybody, no matter what their size, and that maybe there were deeper psychological and physical reasons that led to him drinking like that. You know, it was something our director Jason Hare encountered a lot when we were interviewing people um, about this. We knew that you know you you have to include a little bit of the drinking, the fun part, and, and the not so fun part of it. Uh, and a lot of people were reluctant to talk to us because they said, "Hey, listen, you know." We don't want this to be a documentary about like the drinking and you know partying and all that stuff. We wanted to be about more than that. And um, you know, one of the things I think Carrie Elwes, who is his uh, co, uh, who starred alongside him in Princess Pride, said is you know he he did it because he was in pain. Um, and I think that you know, keep in mind this is a guy who would have a growth spurt every you know. You and I had two in our lives. You know, once you know when you're eight and once when you're like sixteen. He had one every you know, five to six years without, you know, uh, without stopping. So his joints, his, his body was always in pain. So, you know, I think a lot of what everybody says is that a lot of the drinking was to, to, to quell some of that. And it was obviously he was in a, a, a tremendous amount of pain. How big was he at his peak size? You know, you know, it's a, if you ask 10 different people, you'll get 11 different answers. Um, I think, I do think legitimately, you know, we asked Vince McMahon about it and he says, you know, I do think he was above seven feet. Um, maybe seven, seven, somewhere between seven, two and six, 11, I think is, is probably uh, right in there. Uh, weight wise. He was definitely uh, pushing 500 pounds towards, towards his end. Um, so, I think that number is definitely not false. So there must have um, been, a, there must have been an absolutely visceral reaction Every time this guy walked into a room, I would have thought. You know, um, that was it, was it was tough for him because he couldn't hide. You know, I think David Schumacher said, well, where's, you know, Ali could put on a, a ball cap. You know, Michael Jordan, you know, can, you know, put on a, a, a trench coat. You know, Andre the Giant couldn't hide anywhere. I mean, you know, he said to his best friend, Tim White, you know, I wish I could be you just for a weekend uh, because he wanted him to be able to go to like movies and, you know, go have a dinner without being gawked at. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, 
you know, fun celebrity, I think, where even that can get annoying. But it was just like, you know, being treated like like he was something less than, I think, uh, respectable. Like he was a freak, rough. basically. I guess that's, that would have yeah. been it. He, he, you know, I don't know if anyone would be able to handle walking around every day with people staring at you like that. And even the practicalities of his life. I mean, it hammered home to me when one of his, a guy who would travel with him quite a lot, told about the difficulties that Andre had, say, on a flight when he couldn't fit in the bathroom, obviously, in the on, on an airplane, and he has to go to the toilet in a bucket behind a curtain and pass it out to somebody. These are everyday issues that this man would have faced. Yeah, I mean, everything that was you and I can take for granted, walking through a doorway, getting onto an elevator, uh, you know, making the turn on a staircase, you know, th- those things, the staircases would be too narrow, the elevators may not be able to support him. I mean, there was just, there was no end to like the uncomfortable things that he had to go through. The medical condition, acromegaly, is that what you call it? Acromegaly is the uh, medical term, yes. And that's, uh, without without any of us being doctors here necessarily, what, uh, approximately what does that do, or a rough explanation? uh, It's called, I mean, the colloquial term we all use is gigantism. And what it is, is it's a, um, um, I want, it's a, a, I believe it's a tumor that grows on your pituitary gland. And what it means is for the rest of your life, you will c- continue to excrete growth hormone. And so you're just always, you know, your body at a certain point stops that, you know, pretty much like I was saying, you know, it's the two growth spurts that you and I go through and he would constantly go through them. It's kind of one of the more interesting things is that, you know, we always thought that he was always growing proportionally, you know, it's like, you know, constant expansion. But it would be in, in phases, um, and so you know the boots that you see uh, at WWE, uh, are, you know his size twenty four boots, and the the shoes that he uh, wore when he was in France before his passing are are vastly larger, uh, because he did keep keep growing, uh, and that was uh, because of acromegaly. Is it right that he refused medical treatment that could have? Uh, not reverse this process or, or or anything, but could have helped him to manage it somewhat, could have lived a little bit longer, but he refused that? We talked to his doctor, um, Harris Yet, who was the surgeon. He broke his ankle, I believe it was 1981. I might be missing the year just a little bit. Uh, it's a little removed for me right now. Um, in a match with Killer Khan was the, the, the stage uh, thing that happened. You hear lots of different stories, whether or not he broke his foot or what. Um, but he, he had to go visit a uh, uh, he had to go get his foot looked at, and that's when, according to Doctor Yet, he was diagnosed with acromegaly. Um, we they told him it was reversible, uh, not reversible. They told him it was they could he, he could have the surgery and he would stop growing and it probably would increase his lifespan. But he uh, neglected it because he was afraid that it would stop his wrestling career. That you know if he got it that he would no longer be Andre the Giant, um, which is, is sad because if you look at, if, if you're a wrestling guy and you look at Big Show, um, he had the same, uh, the same, uh, ac- he had acromegaly as well, but he got the, the surgery. Um, and, you know, he's, you know, not as huge as he was, but he's become, he's still a big guy. Uh, and so it's kind of sad that he elected to, to not take the surgery. So I guess by a certain point in his life, Andre, the character of Andre the Giant, had taken over from Andre Rusimov, who who grew up in a in a small village in France. I mean, his he had so much of his identity wrapped in it, and you know, it's talked about how you know it wasn't so much, you know, he missed being on the road. He he would have missed the idea of being on the road with the guys, 
And I mean, even so much of his identity was wrapped up in the territorial era. You know, there was resentment towards, um, there was resentment towards the consolidation of the, the territories. And, um, you know, he liked the idea of that he was, you know, gone 330 days a year in, in a different city every week. Um, and, you know, the idea that that could be taken away with the surgery, um, I don't think he could live with that. Just a, just an explanation of that, Matt. The, the territories, t- the territorial era is what existed essentially before Vince McMahon, who people would probably know, uh, came along with the WWF, now the WWE. It used to be wrestling was, was big in a cultish kind of a way, and people would just travel around different parts of the US, wrestle a little bit, go somewhere else the next night and so on, before it became this massive sports entertainment industry. Yeah, so the way it worked is, you know, uh, the way the U.S. was is that you had your own little areas of, you know, they call it uh, uh, TV markets. And every TV market was separate. And pretty much wherever there was like a TV market, that was its own little territory of wrestling. You know, in the Midwest, you'd have St. Louis. And then once you get uh, a little bit um, away from that, you go up north, you get to be like Chicago. And Chicago had its own uh, area from there. Uh, and so what would happen is all these different wrestling territories are happening with no knowledge to the outside world of other territories. You know, if you're in New York, like I am, you grow up with the WWF, Vince McMahon's territory, and you have no idea that um, down in the Carolinas, you know, there's a whole different territory in stars. And if they're in San Francisco, there's a whole new different territory in stars. And the one thing Vince McMahon Sr. realized is that um, Andre couldn't stay in one territory. Um, if you couldn't beat him, like that's, you know, you could beat him, but you couldn't beat the character because if you beat the character, then what's the point of the Andre? So he had the idea that he would make a, you know, kind of alliance with everybody and send Andre around to all the different territories. So he'd spend a week down in Florida and then he'd travel to Memphis and do a week in Memphis. And keep in mind that each one of those territories, there's about five or six cities or arenas that they stop in. So pretty much you have a whole you know month or so to promote that you're getting Andre, and then for a week you trot Andre around to every one of those places within your territory. And that's how he lived his life for, I mean, close to a decade. Until the, the boom hit, I guess, in the, 19, the 1980s is what we're talking about as the start of the boom in the WWF. Yeah, um, so what happened was Vince McMahon um, bought the rights to his father's business, uh, Vince McMahon Sr., um, and began, you know, uh, what they call the, the expansion. Uh, and what he did was he either, you know, went into a territory. He pretty much built with cable television uh, a national wrestling um, show. And it, it broadcast everywhere. You know, you would rather than just watching on, you know, your local affiliate, you could tune in and see uh, on, on USA Network. You could see, you know, the same guys every week. And there were, you know, these superstars that he was building. Uh, including Hulk Hogan. Uh, and that, I think, really was the beginning of, you know, the, the global push for, for wrestling. And, and and that was how, you know, his, his life progressed in the Vince McMahon WWF era. Matt, I know you probably had to put it in there in the interest of the narrative, but reliving the breakup of the friendship of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giants on, Piper's, <laughs> on the Piper's Pit, it, it, was too, it was almost too tough for me to take, I've got to be honest with you. It's funny that you say that because uh, I think David Shoemaker had a great line, which was, you know, it wasn't the first time that he had considered Andre turning heel. It was the first time he had considered morality on that level. 
and I'm, I was a little young for the for the Piper's Pit, um, but I, I've known about it. And my a lot of members of like my cousins and uncles, they distinctly remember that. And it's sort of insane that you know so much was was built into that. And I didn't realize it going in that how much of a, a huge moment it was for people who lived it. Um, but I mean, I think everybody's like, oh, you got to show tearing the cross, the shirt. It was. It's it's a it's a moment that we all kind of remember, and you know the tears, the 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 Jesse Ventura, you know, trotting him out with Heenan, everything about it, you know, I think we play it for, you know, most of the things when you do a documentary, you let it play for I don't know, a, a third or less of the time that it went, and I think that that one was almost the entirety that we showed in the documentary, that that Piper's Pit. It was really it's really fun, and you know, if you can look past the you know the cheekiness of it it's it's a it's a huge moment in, in that wrestling era we've definitely lost the non-wrestling fans with this particular segment of the interview <laughs> we, were, we were doing so well man we had everybody on board now it's just me you and the and the small number of 1980s wrestling fans who and, listen to this podcast but george, they're very committed and, and george germanic goes up in wwe headquarters <laughs> good good to hear it's, it's good to hear that the epochal event of that era or certainly the way I remember it was Wrestlemania 3 which is also a central point of your documentary this is when the Hulk Hogan Andre the Giant thing uh, became this gigantic kind of uh, kind of an event can you describe what the thinking was behind how you approach that in the in the movie well I mean whenever you think of Andre the Giant I, I think it's one of the first things you think about is you know being body slammed by Hulk Hogan and it's a little tough that his you know culminating moment is a loss but when you kind of step back and look at his career which is you know him always winning it, it made sense that that was the climactic moment and so when jason uh, was talking with us about what you know what it was going to be i think we all kind of knew that that was the moment and when you began to do the interviews and he talked to hogan and you know it was clearly a huge moment for him and when you talked with you know wrestling historians like Dave Meltzer who go, hey, listen, you know, despite all the highs and lows of Hogan's career, it's still the first thing he talks about. It, it made sense that that was going to be the moment. I think the tough thing was, you, you forget that he had four more years in WWE after that. Uh, and it was like, okay, well, do we want to get into, you know, uh, him becoming WWF champion against uh, and giving the title to Million Dollar Man? Do you want to get into his tag team championships with Haku? Do you want to get into him wrestling Hogan again at WrestleMania four? Uh, it was tough to be, we, we, we made the decision that we were like, you know what? Once, once the slam happened, that was, he was, he was still around, but it was, it was clearly the, the, the end of his career. And, and we started, you know, trotting that documentary towards, uh, towards the end. Once we, once that happened. Well, you mentioned there that Hulk Hogan won that match, but what is amazing about this is that he didn't know, going into it, how it was going to end. I presume everyone always thinks these things are so well choreographed that both wrestlers know exactly what's going to happen. It was a little bit different when people were dealing with Andre the Giant. He, he kind of decided himself how things might end, which is quite a daunting thing, I would say, for Hulk Hogan going into an athletic endeavour with a man who weighs about 600 pounds and not knowing what you're supposed to do at the very end. Yeah, no, it's, it's really tough. I mean, uh, Andre was old school. Andre wanted to call the match in the ring. He wanted to um, step forward and, you know, when they would be in clinches, you know, he'd walk, you know, his opponent through what they wanted to do. And, I mean, it was very loose. It's like, you know, okay, I, you know, I go here, I go there. Um, 
And Hogan had wrestled Andre before. He knew what the deal was. Um, but, you know, with a match of this magnitude, you know, 90-plus thousand at the Pontiac Silverdome, and I think he wanted to kind of get a little bit more sure, and he was never going to get that out of Andre, either because Andre wanted to mess with him, either because Andre, you know, wanted the attention, or God knows what. But uh, everybody agrees that Andre did not tell Hogan how it was going to go down. Uh, and, and I think Vince was... So, what ended up happening was um, Hogan, you know, dubs it pulling a DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, which is he ended up writing out all the, the moves that he would hoped that Andre would go along with. Uh, and from there, kind of the, the rest is history. Uh, he called, he didn't, he left the finish open uh, because he thought it would be disrespectful to, to say anything about how he thought the match should end. And, uh, and then the rest played out as it, as we all know how it went. By that point in his life, I guess Andre the Giant was in a pretty bad way physically um, and he, he would have deteriorated pretty badly from then on. And we talked about the, the darker side earlier on in this chat of his, of his life. Um, how, did it all, how did it all end for him? Well, I mean, you're right. By the point time he got into WrestleMania 3, uh, he was already in decline. Uh, he had just had a back surgery. Um, and he was recovering from that to get to uh, WrestleMania three, and he did successfully recover, you know, with the help of the McMahons. Um, and then what happened was that he had already had so many, you know, knee surgeries and back surgeries. Uh, I think he had one more big knee surgery uh, towards the t- his final time in WWE. Uh, he comes out with the Bushwhackers a couple times, um, but then you know uh, he ends up just not being able to, to perform. They, they kind of help him along by doing some tag team matches where he can stand on the, the ropes and, you know, just has to look intimidating there. You know, maybe he'll do an elbow drop and, and pin the guy up. But it was clear that he couldn't do, you know, the 10, 5, 10, 10 minutes of wrestling a, a week. And, and he was done at WWE, which is sad. Um, and then from there... I mean, it was not a very long period of time. His past in January of 93, um, back home in France when he had just visited his uh, ailing father. Uh, I think, believe his father had just passed away. He was, you know, he was staying there for the funeral. And um, a few days later, he ended up dying, which is, you know, tragic for that family to have lost, you know, two close members in the period of a, of a week. Okay, well, listen, I mean, I'd love to just keep on talking here, Matt. We haven't even got to, got to his real-life hatred of Macho Man Randy Savage, for example. But my <laughs> colleagues are telling me You'll that I've got to... the documentary. Yeah, exactly. People can watch a documentary for that one. Listen, it's been fascinating. Matt Maxson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andy. You are someone with a history of domestic violence yourself. Um, everything has been allegations. You've even been to jail for um, it. Nothing has been proven, so, you know, that's life. I'm a cold No pictures, just hearsay. Dance with me, boy! Go ahead, you're the last question. Viva! What are you doing with a school bag on stage? It was your own kids who called the police. I'm hot black from the belly button down! Seven separate physical assaults on five different women. You little snaphead! You can't even read! Yes, sir! I'm their new World Federation Championship! Oh, that was a roller coaster. 
gotta say, I'm not the only I, one. Halfway through, I thought you were about to walk out. <laughs> that, when the cold water the was Samuel poured Beckett, on the yeah. Samuel Beckett yeah. tail, I really thought you were gonna you were gonna break down. You just listen. A lot of people were tweeting me about it. it today when I asked what are people's under the giant memories. Mm. So I'm not the only one crushed by that. Although Matt did leave it open a little bit, a glimmer of light there. They did grow. They did live in the same town in France. Was that a willingness to? You know, like a, a dedication to journalism that we haven't proved it yet, but it's possible to prove it. Yeah. Or one man deciding that crushing the dreams of another man before midday his time was not really his theme. Sure, Socrates once played for UCD. How <laughs> <laughs> famous was Samuel Beckett at the time when he lived in the same town as Andre the Giant? Uh, well, Andre the Giant was born, Ken, in 1946. So if he was going to school, let's say, between... You know, late 50s, early 60s. Because I'd say Beckett Samuel Rudd, Beckett would have been aware of Andre the Giant in the town. Yeah. But I'm, I just don't know. if. Well, Whittings for Gatto was, what, 48, Andre 49? didn't get particularly big, I think, until he was about no, 15. Early. He was mid-teens. I don't think the, one of his brothers was saying in the documentary that he was relatively sort of normal-sized uh, mm. as, a, as a young kid, and then it got, it got progressively uh, bigger. Uh, he got progressively bigger, I should say. I, I know I probably should have explained that Piper's Pit Murph was a talk show in which... Rowdy Roddy Piper would interview fellow wrestlers. I don't think you want to go down the rabbit hole of what do I need to explain to the 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 wrestling neophyte from that uh, conversation. I mean, I I think on you did good. You just went for it, and I hung in there, and I we we got we got to the the main point. Sure, I mean, I just I, got there this. was nothing that, that there were no holes in my in my knowledge by the end. So. Sure, I've just got this clip that I want to play. So, under the giant turn on Hogan during Piper's pit, as as you probably know at this point, of course, yeah. turning heel as they say, turning into a villain. And literally ripping the shirt off, Hogan, shirt off Hogan's back. But as we alluded to, Hulk Hogan got his own back in WrestleMania 3. That's the first time I think that the Giant's ever been knocked off his feet like that. Look at the look on the face of the champion. He's hooking up, Jess. I don't know if he's got enough left in him. That adrenaline can do wonders. We're seeing what this guy is really made of. What he is. The greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's landed. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Oh, dropping a big leg. Over for the cover. Yeah, Hulk Hogan, the greatest professional athlete in the world today. That was in 1987. I think there was no doubt about that. You can keep your Carl Lewis's <laughs> of this world. Diego your your Magic Johnson's. Of and so on, yeah. Just a year after. I mean... You know, Mexico was the peak. He was uh, he was going downhill at that stage. All that's right, true. that's all the Andre talk. I think you're right, Murph. I think people have either decided that was the most ludicrous podcast <laughs> they've ever listened to or got some semblance of entertainment out of it. I enjoyed it immensely. I'm just waiting to hear back from the uh, from the people involved about international release and all that kind of thing. I know a lot of the HBO stuff ends up on Sky Atlantic, for example, but we don't have any confirmation of that at the moment. If we do hear of any plans in the pipeline, I'll certainly let you know. Now, we're going to be returning to the Paddy Jackson, Stuart Oling story on the World Service tomorrow in the wake of the news that they've had their contracts revoked and we'll preview the Champions Cup semi-finals later in the week. Might have jumped the gun a little bit, Murph, in our early analysis of those semi-finals because we looked at the fixture list for both Munster and Leinster bet- between quarter-final and semi-final mm-hmm. so that Leinster had two home games lined up against Italian opposition. Looked like handy wins there. And Munster... Bless them. They had to do a lot of travelling and play two tricky games in South Africa, which is really going to be taxing on their bodies. Non-stop grind. Exactly, before having to fly long haul back. Well, Leinster got beaten by Ben Dondreviso, albeit with a somewhat weakened team. And uh, Munster, what about Munster? Well, I don't know if 
you no, you're not on Instagram, so you don't follow Conor Murray on Instagram. Yeah, when it's an interesting enough Instagram post, I'll end up seeing it. Okay, but so I have seen the well. It, it it wasn't so much that it was that it's that interesting. It's just been, that it's been a nonstop two week barrage <laughs> of Conor Murray <laughs> having the best time of his life <laughs> in South Africa because I have I have followed people on Instagram who have been on their honeymoon <laughs> in South Africa having less fun, and it's I'm telling you, it's. There's no, there's just no comparison. Conor Murray looks like he's having way more fun than literally any amount of people on their honeymoon in South Africa for the last two weeks. He's had a ball. Heading up in the cable car up Table Mountain and uh, all the rest of it. Just, and, and all of them, and, but it's not, not even so much that. It's like they're out on, you know, boats. Just, uh, all, they're all just chilling out, like watching the sunset and, you know, having a few beers, having a few glasses of white wine. Just relaxing. I mean, honestly, it seems like the best preparation for a Heineken Cup semi-final that I've ever seen a team indulge in. And to add to that, when you go on your honeymoon, you don't normally get to play for a professional team mm. and score a try about 25 seconds after coming on the pitch like Conor Murray did in their second of yeah. the two victories. And then boot a penalty from 57 yards out <laughs> to ensure the victory. By the so way... All, all, I mean, I, I, we've, it's, it's been turned right around us. We, we were sitting here in the studio saying, well... You couldn't have scripted it any better for Leinster. And as for poor old Munster, well, hopefully they'll have they'll be able to field a team against uh, Racing Metro. You know the kicker? Go on. Munster also have a nine-day turnaround. So it really doesn't matter that they had to take long-haul flights. <laughs> they have a week and a half to get ready. I think they're going to be A-OK for a number of different reasons. Yeah. So we'll get to all of that during the World Service programming this week. Thanks very much. You guys oh, for Owen, I like you. such a special I like day for me. Was happy on McDevitt Day, Owen. Happy on McDevitt Day, everybody. Happy on McDevitt Day, Ken. Owen, you're Thanks, amazing. Ken. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for listening, guys. It's a hell of a tournament so far. Listen, Luke Jensen, ESPN. Great to talk to you. Glad you're enjoying it. Own, you're amazing. <laughs> Own, you're amazing. Own, you're amazing. Own, you're amazing. Owen McDevitt. Owen The Murphy Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the into the web. Owen McDevitt. Second captain. Those guys, are like, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a fucking soccer. Oh, you're amazing. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. World War. Owen McDevitt. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at. Is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.